Very good. Well, listen, uh, let's go to prayer here before we get into uh, the message here. Oh, you know what? I forgot one thing. Sorry. I knew there's one. I had a sticky here. You know, pay attention to your post-it notes. Uh, the clubhouse uh, still needs a volunteer for first week. So our kids ministry, the clubhouse, uh, if you're interested in helping out there with, with the, like the preschool age, uh, they need a volunteer on the first week. So, Okay. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship together, and um, thank you for the fellowship that we have in you. You're our common bond, though we may be have all kinds of differences and in, in ways of looking at things and have different strengths and weaknesses amongst ourselves. Uh, you're our common bond, and so Lord, we just are thankful that we're able to come together here. We pray um, together just for... Um, Friends, family, church members that can't be here because they're not feeling well, God, we just pray that you would heal them. We pray that you would uh, cause them to recover quickly. And also those that are particularly going through some really tough uh, diagnoses, Lord, we just pray that you would give them the strength to, to just cling to you and let them know your nearness, Father. And Lord, we also just want to ask that you would help us to be um, present here in our minds and in our hearts to be thinking about this message and how it applies to us. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we started a mini-series uh, called Stories Jesus Told. And um, if you're familiar with uh, one of the four books of the, the four uh, Gospels there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he, Jesus tells a lot of stories, parables we call them. All right, and um, I, I wanted to, before we even get to the uh, the parable we're going to talk today uh, about, I just thought it'd be good to kind of answer the question. You know, why did Jesus sometimes speak in parables? I've heard some people say, well, you know, he needed some illustration material for his sermons, and that's not really why he told parables. He wasn't looking for just a good illustration, though we could say that they are uh, good word pictures. But that's not why he told parables. And so let me just get, uh, take a look here. In Matthew chapter 13, he answers this very question. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, I'll just read it here. It says, Then the disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, uh, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Isn't that interesting? Uh, then he says, For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. He says, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. So he's quoting an Old Testament scripture now. He says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and, do not, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And so what you can see from that passage is Jesus really told parables 
to reveal the spiritual condition of people's hearts. You know, he, he's kind of said, he was speaking to his disciples, answering to his followers there, you know, why, their question about why do you speak to them in parables, meaning the other people. And, and basically he's saying, you know, there are some who get it and don't, and when I tell these parables, it kind of exposes that. Um, and I could certainly say there uh, was a time before I became a Christian that I didn't get it, okay? I def- definitely didn't get it. Um, and, uh, but when God's working in our hearts and His Holy Spirit is working, it's almost like this uh, light is turned on and we get it. We understand the grace of God, which is our big topic today is the grace of God. We understand it, um, are amazed by it. Um, but uh, there are some who don't get it and some who do get it, and we pray that everyone will get it, okay? That's the idea. Um, so now, uh, our focus today, though, is in Matthew chapter 20, one of these parables. I titled the message today, That's Not Fair, and that'll become pretty obvious why we named it that uh, when we get into this. So um, I'll just read through this parable here. And actually, as we go through, I'll stop at different points and uh, mention a few things that will be important for us to know. All right, so it starts off here, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, says, For the kingdom of heaven is like... So let's stop there. So he's telling us, you know, this this story is going to point out to us what the kingdom of God is like, what the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, those are interchangeable terms. And let me just say this. Um... Don't just think of the afterlife when you think of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Okay? Just think of also, and if you read the Bible, you'll understand that, that when he mentions the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, it means the rule and the reign of God, and that's happening now in his people's hearts. Right? If you are a follower of Christ and you have the Holy Spirit, he is ruling and reigning in your life, in your heart. And so the kingdom of God uh, is is alive and well there, and then there will be a day when it will be physical, uh, when at the second coming of Christ, and that's what Christians believe. That's what the Bible teaches. So, the kingdom of heaven. Let's put putting just putting some context to that. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day basically a pretty um, common daily wage. It was a fair wage for a day's work. It says he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So you see he's going back to town and hired more workers here at another time. And so they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why, did, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Now, let me mention something here before we move on. 
it mentioned different times of the day, didn't it? And it's important for us to kind of understand that the workday then ran from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., putting it in our terms, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so it mentioned that he went out there kind of at the beginning of the day, so that would be the first hour, 6 a.m., and hiring those workers first. 9 a.m. Uh, would be the third hour then, counting that way, and then 12 noon, the sixth hour. And then when you get to the 11th hour, those last workers he hired, that would be the 11th hour. So they would only be working one hour, whereas the first group of people would be working 12 hours, okay? So just putting that in a little context here. So let's keep reading here. Um, I'll read this verse again. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Now this is kind of an important detail here. He starts with the last workers, right? Starts with the last workers and says, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? And they're sitting there, I mean, so they were out there waiting all day long to be hired, right? And, and here they get what was equivalent to a full day's wage. Now, if you're the first hour worker, I'm sitting there thinking, whoo, I'm looking at 12 days wages coming my way, you know? Because you're doing the math, right? I know Alan is, he's doing the math. So, uh, so just think about that. It says, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Whoa. Okay, and on, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. All right, now, so, uh, you know, this, Jesus, when he's telling these parables, uh, often there's, there should be an element of shock, right? That's to get your attention, all right, and, and to see that you're kind of getting the idea that uh, this just seems totally backwards what's happening. Uh, and, and some of us would be sitting there saying, that's not right, that's not fair, right? That's not just in our eyes that this is happening. Um, and so, now, uh, in looking at the rest of this parable, the, verses 13 to 16 really kind of open up, uh, I think, what, what the lessons are of this parable in the very last verse, I think we'll kind of get the big picture, but I think we can learn a lot about God, who is the landowner here in this uh, parable. We can learn a lot about God, but we also learn about our own hearts, okay? So this is, you know, this is kind of where we're going to have a little open heart surgery this morning as we kind of take a look, not at your neighbor, not at your spouse, no elbows flying, Okay. <laughs> But uh, I know, I know, you may have worn your pads, uh, but, but this is about uh, us individually here and learning about God. So we're going to take a look at these verses 13 to 16, see what they reveal to us about God and our own hearts. All right, so let's take a look here. In back, coming to verse 13, it says, but, so this is the landowner's reply um, into the objection, the objection that this is not fair what you've done. And so the landowner's reply, he says, but he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? What is he saying? He's saying, didn't I give you what I promised? Didn't you agree to this wage? And the answer is, yes, 
They did. Verse 14 says, uh, the landowner says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. And so, um, what can we learn about God here? What we can learn about him uh, is that God always acts with integrity. He always acts with integrity. If he says he's going to do something, that's what he does, right? Um, and, and, and not even really, um, you know, because we're, this is not an economic lesson, by the way. Um, and some people turn this into politics and they make it into something it's not. This has nothing to do politically with anything or economically. It's a lesson about God's grace, okay, in our lives. And, um, and so what we see here is that, you know, God acts with integrity. He is always consistent with what he says. And aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad he keeps his promises to you, right? Uh, that he's consistent. Uh, that's what it means to be a person of integrity. He keeps his promises, right? Uh, he's not one way with one person, another way with another in terms of his promises. Now, certainly he does, though, deal with the details of our lives differently, doesn't he? Right? Um, you know, as, as a parent, you might say, well, why didn't God give me kids that sit still? You know? <laughs> Or, you know, or why didn't God give me this spouse or that spouse? Or, you know, so you start, we start kind of comparing, uh, which is kind of what's happened here. They start comparing their wages with each other's wages, you know, rather than seeing God here as he is. He always does right. He keeps his promises the same. Uh, you know, what he's promised us, he will keep the same. But how he works in our lives is different, right? We don't all have the same amount of money in our bank account. We don't all have the same types of jobs or influence in our jobs that others do. Um, and what we need to realize is that um, God is still gracious. He's still good. He's still keeping his promises to us. Now, um, I ran across this illustration I wanted to share with you. Um, R.C. Sproul. Have you heard of R.C. Sproul? Okay, as a pastor, has gone to be with the Lord. He also taught in Bible college. He shared a story of something that actually happened in one of his classrooms. Um, teachers, you might want to try this. This will be interesting if you did this. Um, he said, uh, on the first day of class, I had to give out, a, give out the assignments, and I had to very care, uh, be very careful about how I explained all the requirements. And that's, you know, the first day of class is, most people say this is a total blow-off because the, the professor's just up there saying, what are all the requirements in the syllabus and what, how's, you know, what's acceptable in terms of deadlines and stuff like that? And so he said, he says, uh, when he talks about the papers, he says they have a number of papers, term papers due, three to five pages or two to four pages, short little term papers. He says, if you don't turn them in on time, you'll get an F on the assignment. That's pretty clear. Right? If you don't turn them on. He says... Um, uh, it says, unless you unless you have a confirmed illness or uh, you have a death in the immediately family. He says, unless you, so those are the only excuses. And I go over that too in my classes when I teach Columbus Day. You have to be like real specific, right? Say, this is the, these are the situations in which I would like give you an extension or whatever. So he, he laid it out very clearly. And he says, the first one's due September 30th in his class. So on September 30th, 225 of his students diligently came forward with their term papers uh, 25 of those students were standing there shivering and shaking in fear. They said, oh, Dr. Sproul, 
uh, we didn't get our papers done, we didn't budget our time, we didn't make the transition from high school to college well. I can hear these, I've heard these voices. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, please don't give us an F. Um, let us have a couple days extension. So RC said, okay, I'll let you have it this time. But don't let it happen again. Remember now next month, I want those papers here on time. October 30th comes. 200 students came with their term papers. 50 of them didn't have their term paper. I said, where's your term papers? They said, oh, professor, everybody's term papers were due this week, and this week was homecoming, and we were busy with floats and all that stuff. High school people can really, teachers can really probably hear that. Uh, please give us one more chance. So I said, okay, I'll give you a two-day extension. And you know what happened? They began to sing spontaneously, he said. We love you, Prof Sproul. Yes, we do. He says, I was the most popular professor on campus until November 30th. On November 30th, 150 students, the number's going down. Have you figured that? 150 students came with their term papers. The other 100 walked in like they were going down the street for a loaf of bread. They were casual and relaxed. And I said, Johnson? He said, yes, sir. I said, where's your paper? He said, hey, hey, prof, you know. Don't worry about it. I'll have it for it to you in a couple days. <laughs> oh, I would love to hear that. I would be. Uh, he says, I took out my black book, and I said, Johnson? He said, yes, F. Ewalt, where's your paper? I don't have it, sir. He replied, F. Cunningham, F, and so on. About this time, someone in the back of the room shouted, you guessed, you guessed it, what are they going to say? That's not fair! <laughs> and R.C. says, Patrick, did you really say that? He said, yes, I said, that's not fair. And he said, uh, <laughs> he said, yes, I said that. He said, uh, I said, do you recall that you didn't turn your paper in the time on time last time? Yes, he said, that's right. Okay, if you want justice, you're going to get justice. And I wrote F for both. I said, anybody else? Anybody else want justice? <laughs> Isn't that good? I mean, you know, that really happened, by the way. So, uh, but the whole, the point is, is, is like, well, this was what I said. Now, the, I gave you mercy those first two times, but I'm dealing with you rightly because this was the deadline, right? And this is what was happening in a sense, right, with these workers. Um, and, and if we can have a similar response when we start comparing uh, ourselves with each other in our life situations, and, and kind of uh, when we feel like we should have been shown more grace than what we have perceived. Right? So, God always acts with integrity. Now, let's keep going here. Um, this next, so, the next question, these questions kind of reveal to us the things about God, right? The questions when the reply of the landowner. And the first one was, um, didn't you agree? Didn't we agree on this, right? So here's the next question. He says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And this is just simply stated is God can do as he pleases, right? God can do as he pleases. It, it, you know, it's not, it's, you know, we don't have a God of our own making who does things the way we want him to, right? That's, he wouldn't be God, first of all. 
and he will only be God in our mind, all right, God of our own creation. But God is, this, this uh, part of the parable really just kind of points out to us that God is, is completely sovereign over how he deals with us. And, and if you're not familiar with that term, uh, the sovereignty of God just means that God has the power and the wisdom and the authority. God has the power and the wisdom and authority to do anything he chooses. And so you think about your own life, right? What's going on in your own life? Right? He has the power, he has the authority, he has the wisdom. Right? And that's, I think that's important for us to realize. You know, we have an all-wise God, um, and he's doing things always for our best. Right? And you can think of um, if you, Romans 8.28 is a verse that often comes to my mind when you think about as we're going through the difficult times as Christ followers, that he works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right? So, he does whatever he pleases. There's actually a psalm. It says that in the psalm several times. Uh, psalm 135, I, I don't have it up here, but it says, uh, Psalm 135, verses 5 and 6, says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our God is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all the deeps. So it's all his. We, that's one of the things that we kind of looked at last week. The parable we talked about last week talked about that we are stewards of God's stuff, right? Anything that we have, uh, whether it's the finances, the physical property, um, uh, if, when you look at what the Scripture says, it says it's all God's, right? It's all his, and we are stewards of those things. And this this part of the parable just reminds us that God can do as He pleases because He is God. And so, um, I have no right to question His decisions on the things that are going on in my life. You can wrestle with it and be honest with God for sure. Okay, But at the end of the day, you'll have to settle that with God. You'll have to realize He is God, you are not. He knows best, you don't always. Right? But he does. So, um, I think ultimately we're all control freaks. You know, people, people always say, well, you know, this person over there is a control freak. No, we all are, just varying degrees, right? And this aspect, sometimes God's sovereignty, and, and wanting to have control of all the outcomes in our lives as we take action or make decisions, um, is hard for all of us, right? Uh, to to kind of um, yes, we got to do our level-headed best to make good decisions and work hard. But uh, we've talked about this before. The results are really up to God, right? And we leave it up to Him. And and the quicker we can get that uh, and learn that lesson that He's in control and kind of hold on to things loosely and outcomes in our life, hold those loosely, the better off we're going to be. And so uh, the landowner here symbolizing God in the parable is just simply saying, it's my money, I can do with it what I want. And so, you know, and, and again, God's not being unjust here. The landowner's not being unjust here because he agreed. Everybody agreed to what they get, agreed to get paid. So he's doing right by all of them. Now, next question which is the second part of verse 15. He says, or do you begrudge my generosity? 
In other words, are you just questioning, you know, you, do you not want me to be generous and merciful? And this is a good question, right? And this is really just telling us that God is merciful and He's generous. And if we were honest about how He has dealt with us, uh, regardless of the difficulties in our lives, right, that He is generous and merciful. Right? The last workers hired at the 11th hour got a paycheck that was equivalent to a full day's work. I'd call that wonderful mercy. Wonderful mercy. And, and, and we've probably had the equivalent done in our lives. May not come in a paycheck. May not come in a paycheck. May it come in some other form. A blessing that we know that we don't deserve. Right? And that's really you know, is, 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 is being merciful. It's got to be merciful. We're, we're not getting what we do deserve, right? RC in that illustration with the papers. You want justice? I could do justice. You know, but he, he showed them mercy and grace, did he not? Those first two times around the term papers were due. And so um, our God is generous and merciful to all of us. And I think the thing is, is that we just need to be, ask God to make us aware, right? Uh, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, right, here before long, and, and to, right, you, you hear those phrases, right, uh, count your blessings, or having an attitude of gratitude, however you want to phrase it, that's biblical, right? It's just being thankful for what we have. And just to, to not compare ourselves with one another, that God has dealt and given blessings to each and every one of us, shown His mercy to each and every one of us in various ways, and in different ways, and at different times. And the, the ultimate, like if, you talk, if we talk about that our church family, would be to root for one another. And to celebrate the blessings of God in other people's lives too. When they, when you see the mercy of God, the blessing of God, uh, you know, happening in a person's life, you know, are you celebrating with them, or are you sitting there saying, "Why didn't I get that? Why didn't I get that?" <laughs> Kevin DeYoung was sharing a um, a, a story about um, giving gifts one time. He gave one of his kids. He gave him a brand new baseball cap. And uh, as he was giving out the gifts, and the kid put the hat on, was happy as could be. The next gift that went to the, the next kid was an iPad. All of a sudden, the hat was junk. <laughs> I mean, can you relate? I mean, as, whether it's with your own kids or your own life, right? That's what we tend to do. The hat was the best thing ever until the iPad came out. Can't do anything with a hat. Except for put it on. But, you know, I mean, I, so I think that that kind of puts it in perspective that, that we do that with God sometimes when it comes to Him showing mercy to others and we forget about how He's shown us mercy, right? Um, think about this. Um, all right, so as Jesus is telling this story, this parable, some of those who would be listening would be um, Jews, Israel, as chosen people, right? And um, I'm thinking that there's, there's an application here to them in saying that why are we opening this up to these 
tax collectors and sinners coming in at the 11th hour. Our people have been following you for two millennia. And you're letting these guys in at the last second, so to speak. I think there is an element of that, that an element of, of salvation, right? Of, of, of God opening these, the gates, if you will, of salvation. That, right, it's no, it's no longer, as you read in the book of Romans, uh, the person that's a Jew is no longer one who's one who's one outwardly. In other words, it's not about ethnicity. It's about, uh, has my heart been affected by the gospel of Jesus? That's, you know, Paul says that's one who is truly a Jew, okay? Um, and so I think there is an element of this parable definitely is about salvation, where he's saying, listen, none of us deserve it. Whether you got, you got invited in first or you coming in last, right? Um, they're the same. And I say praise God for that, right? Because, um, and, and I think about it just on an individual level. Not, a, not Jew versus Gentile or anything like that, but just, you know, if someone truly comes to faith at the 11th hour, they're in and experience the grace of God. Aren't you glad for that? I am. I am. And, and just thinking about, think about the thief on the cross, hanging there right next to Jesus. Jesus looks over at him you know, and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Up to that point, I don't think so, <laughs> from what we gathered, right? And so something happened there in the thief's heart, hanging there next to Jesus and seeing them knowing that he didn't deserve that. Right? Amazing. Um, speaking of amazing grace, you know, that this is amazing grace, the, the grace of God. Whether we're talking about salvation or whether we're talking about, you know, just walking with him after we've come to faith in Jesus and received the salvation that Christ offers, right? It's all undeserved. Any blessing we get, all the mercy we receive. But we need to see this is our God. He's merciful. He's 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 generous. And and um, you know, just think about what what undeserved blessings do you have, right? Well, you could say all, right, for sure. But there are probably some situations that you think about. They're saying, boy, I sure didn't deserve that. God blessed. Didn't see that one coming, right? And that's wonderful. That's the kind of God we serve. Now, coming in to the very last verse here, kind of the capstone. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And you read that, and you're like, what? What does that even mean? Um, and, you know, you can try to figure it all out, and, and you know, it's good to think, try to think things through, but I kind of try to look at it from a, a bird's eye view rather than trying to dump into the details of what exactly this is. But I think, if, if nothing else, he's telling us that the kingdom of God is totally upside down the way the world works. It's totally upside down. And when you, because you, when you think about how the world works, Right? How the world works um, is not like how God works, right? Uh, everything in the world is about, you know, seniority and power and this and that. God, no, it's not like that in the kingdom of God. God's not handing out these blessings and that sort of thing according to any kind of ranking or position in society, right? Um, the kingdom of God is not like the world. Um, there are other examples of this in the Scripture. Um, 
Matthew 23 talks about this. He says, The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's not the way the world works. The world doesn't say, you know, uh, if you're the lowest and the humblest and the servant of all, you'll be the greatest. No, it's totally the opposite of the way the world works. Right? But that's not the way of the kingdom of God. Right? And God calls us all to be servants, humble servants of each other, those around us, whether they be deserving of it or not in our eyes. Right? And also this, this is another topsy-turvy thing that we see in Scripture, showing us just the upside-down kingdom of God, how it works. And that is that God's power is perfected in weakness. That, isn't that just like, how is that? Right? How is it that God's power is perfected in weakness? It sounds so upside-down. Right? And that's what God told Paul there, and Paul records his little interaction with God in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10, as Paul was feeling the effects of what he calls the thorn in the flesh, whatever that was or whoever that was, if you think it's a person, whoever or whatever it was, God wasn't going to take it away. Right? It, was a, it was a thorn in his side and was causing him great distress, and he asked God to take it from him several times. God says, no, I'm not going to do that because my powers perfected in your total dependence upon me in this situation. That's how God works, right? As we depend upon Him, His power flows, strengthens us, helps us either to endure or rise above whatever it is that we're dealing with. In the world, we celebrate human achievement, climbing the tallest mountain, winning a race, earning a million dollars, or any other kind of like Apple News-worthy thing, whatever you might say, Come, whatever pops up in your feed, right? Those are the people that we look up to in the world, or that the world looks up to, but it's not that way in the kingdom. Instead, it, what is significant is what God is doing in the lives of people who are surrendered to Him. That's significant to God. Amen? That's how He operates. That's the grace of God. Um, and I'm so glad that God, you know, have you ever been tempted to pray? Like if you're going through a very, very difficult time, have you, and, and then you see how God's dealing with other people and it doesn't seem to be working that way for you. Have you been tempted to pray, God, give me what I deserve? Yeah, don't do that. Why wouldn't we do that? Because we don't deserve anything, right? And that's really the point, isn't it? That's the point of the parable. He's saying, you know, it's all God's mercy. And how he wants to deal with individuals, that's up to him. And the kingdom values are totally turned on the head compared to the world. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you do not deal with this as we should be dealt with according to justice. And Father, we do thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your generosity to us. Help us, God, to, to be ones who are are more aware, even pausing to think about the history of your blessings and mercy in our lives. As we come up on Thanksgiving here not too long, and as we think about um, having hearts that are full of gratitude and praise and thankfulness to you, God, help us to, 
to really get this. Help us to be happy for others, to be joyful for others, for the blessings that we see you pouring out on their lives. Let us root for one another. Lord, thank you for this story. In Jesus' name, amen.